0: Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams.
1: Nation, and everything that's happening with our social, economic, and political impact across this nation, in every state house, in every city council, every city, and of course, here, our nation's capital, and in Congress. Before I get started, we're live here at Boys and Poets, 2021 14th Street Northwest, the original location is the best, as is best known as the U Street Corridor, 14th and U the heart of the U street corridor. Um, I'm excited to be here live as us boys and poets, one of seven locations. Uh, certainly one of the flourishing, uh, restaurants and, and, meeting spots in the nation's capital. Uh, we're certainly glad to have this opportunity to come out here and broadcast live as we do as, as we have done across the city from various, uh, locations and restaurants, bringing the, the show out of the studio and bringing it out into the community and, uh, just talking to the people, talking to those who are impacting culture, impacting economics and social uh, trends uh, across the nation. Uh, And it's it's good, because I think that we need to recognize that our communities are changing, the diversity of our communities are changing, and the impact
2: of social and economic policy are certainly making those changes impactful
3: on people of color. And as we discussed in your broadcast, we're talking What's at stake for us uh, across the nation, not
1: just
2: uh, in America, but America as a whole. And before we get deep into the, the special live broadcast that we're doing, I would thank you thank the state of Jesus Christ for allowing me just to host the show, for allowing
1: me to be able to uh, broadcast and, and really bring something out and, and begin to talk to everyone and ask them, you know, what's at stake for you and your family? and have them, as their experts in the field, talk to us and let us know exactly you know, where we stand as a whole. So I want to uh, certainly give honor to God for that, because without him and without this, I wouldn't have this platform. I would not be here each and every Monday night, or in this case, Monday afternoon, it's our special broadcast, being able to reach out and talk to you and, and discuss exactly that, what's at stake socially, economically, and politically. And so tonight with our special broadcast, uh, we're going to talk about when they see us as it enters into the 2020 democratic presidential primaries today we're going to discuss that and a number of other topics uh from immigration to jobs survival uh livable wage and health care and all the things that these 2020 candidates are trying to talk about because certainly uh whatever they talk about and whatever they do is going to impact us uh certainly if they get elected if we didn't learn anything in 2016 We learned that who we put in the White House, who we put in Congress, and who we put in our state houses certainly has a dramatic impact and effect on our daily lives. So there's no more of this discussion to talk about. We don't care because they're going to do what they want to do anyway. Uh, They're only going to do what they want to do anyway because you're going to allow them to do that. So if you don't want to allow them to do that, then you need to get up, step up, pay attention, and get involved in what's going on here. Because... With the recent uh, Netflix, when they see a documentary or film, we learned and we saw something we already knew, we had heard about it, we read about it, other documentaries had come out, but certainly with this one, uh, the pure unadulterated police misconduct and racist behavior, of everyone involved in that case and that film uh, exposed to the current, exposed to our current day voter suppression police, unarmed shootings of black men and women, to the length of prison sentencing in African-Amer- for African Americans across this country that we're still suffering from, and even news coverage. News coverage of our black and brown presidential hopefuls we get from mainstream media and even black media is a castration of the black influence on this nation's social, economic, and political infrastructure. And it must be addressed and resolved even within the Democratic
3: to be here. He's an anti-immigrant. He came to America in 1960.
1: If you want to get joined in the conversation, of course, we're broadcasting live at the bus boards and ports on 14th Street, you can certainly stop by, or you can give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. Andy, let me start with you, because um, I want to again thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, I know that uh, we reached out to you uh, last week and said, hey, you know, the mayor's coming back in town, We want to be able to talk to him. We had a meeting with him over at your K Street location had a good meeting with them, uh, looking for You up on the computer on the back, but you left out before we got a chance to speak to you and introduce him to you. So I'm glad he's going to be here to introduce himself and to talk um, about what his platform is. But I want to talk to you, and I, I really wanted to do this here because of what you have embodied in the business culture, as well as what you've done uh, throughout TC. As I, I said in my introduction, you're an immigrant, You've come, you came over here in the 60s. Uh, you went to Howard for a medical school, which I did not know about. But you did some work in that field in this area, but then you became an entrepreneur and a philanthropist, and you invested in the community. And from all that I've seen and all that uh, I've, I've been able to read and just my personal experience and coming to and us, watching you on the campaign trail when you were running from there, You invested in the areas that were heavily African-American at the time. And and I'm sure you saw the vision of what was going to come. And so you got in early as most do, and you got in. But but your commitment to that community or to our community has been unique. Talk to me about what it means as an immigrant and a business owner and how important immigration is to this country and our GDP. And whether or not you see the policies that Donald Trump, his his administration has, been um, advocating as it relates to immigration or good or bad for our
2: country? Ew, that's a lot of questions all in well, Two main ones, you know, uh, as, uh, as uh, an immigrant and uh, then how those politics are okay. impacting us. As an immigrant, we are a country that's clearly not, That's what this country is built on. Uh, some came by choice, some not so much by choice. Exactly. Uh, this is a, uh, a country that has been built on the back of slaves. It uh, was uh, a country that was a lot of all over the world, the best and the brightest for the freedoms and for the values of the country stands My family moved here with the intention of staying here for a couple of years of exchange uh, where I came from, where my family found the need to stay here. They wanted to work each uh, from the violence and the um, oppression that was happening back in mm-hmm. And so we stayed here here ever since, when we first decided to say it was going to be, every year it was going to do we go back next year, we go back next year, we go back next year, but it never, you know, it never happened when I came here, raising families here, becoming um, very much part of this uh, culture and this community. So I always feel like as an immigrant, you might become an American by choice, which makes me actually slightly more Thoughtful
4: about what it means to be an American. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just born into it. Right. I had to make a choice.
2: That choice was based on the values and the um, opportunities that this country stands for. So when I hear these very big comments made about immigrants, it's really quite upsetting, frankly, because extremely short sighted. And I think it's only there for fear mongering, for great divisions between us. Unfortunately, um, um, that's what happens sometimes. But um, I'm hopeful that people will see through this charade and be able to come out on the side stronger better
3: than we have Right.
1: And so when you, when you um, see it, because, I mean, you, you really hit it. It, it. it certainly comes off and it certainly seems to be intended to be a racial uh, separator, racial divider to really pit cultures and, 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 and individuals against one another in order to reach a political end as opposed to a, a, a national or, or uh, uh, inclusive end and and how do you feel or how do you see that that's going to play out because as it is now we're learning more and more each day from child separation to other things going on that this is really a a, a real you know desire for them to really divide this country I think, you know, the whole issue of immigration has always been a, uh, at least in the past few decades, it's been a, um,
2: a serious area that we, as a country, and certainly our Congress, has not taken at all. It's is an issue that needs to be taken, needs to be addressed. And I think, I'm hoping that, you know, whenever something as horrible as what's happening today, where people have separated families, been separated children, the young as two years old, have been taken away from their parents I'm hoping that that will be an overreach that will get us to really focus more on more immigration. I mean, we we're talking about this a lot lately. I mean, even under the Obama administration, uh, there was a lot of uh, deportations. And, yeah, there was. Uh, and things that were taking place. the America that he was imagining at the time. America was living in America was possible. And I believe immigrants can make this America possible. They're the ones that can make America great. Not the stuff that we hear. <laughs>
1: exactly. We want to welcome Mayor uh, Wayne Messon to the show. Thank you for uh, being here again, Mayor, uh, for joining us again on the show. And this time you're live. You're not skyping in for us. You're live with us. So I greatly appreciate you coming in. Uh, it's great to have you and as an immigrant, son of immigrants in this country, how should we address this issue that we're talking about in immigration because you, you've been listening to Andy uh, and, you know, an entrepreneur just like yourself, uh, you're in the construction area and, and now you're first African American, American uh, mayor of Miramar, Florida, uh, larger than South Bend, let's make that known. Um, and uh, certainly you're doing some great work down there. But talk to us about that issue of immigration and immigrants and how it makes you feel and what's going to be your policies in terms of how you're going to deal with that as president. Well, thanks for
2: having me back, and thanks for, uh, Andy, for opening up your doors for this great, this great program. It's a pleasure uh, to have you here. Yes, it's great to see you um, reflect all the expertise and point and talking about uh, what you're... What you were alluding to was his thought of um, including the the potential of America, but really, basically, the promise of America. And I think um, that's what um, really um, is driving for not just for immigrants, but for birthright Americans as well. And I think, um, in terms of where we are in this country, it relates to uh, immigration, and I think you also have to add race relations. Exactly uh, so the right. country has yet to uh, honestly deal and confront with the consequences of racism. Uh, it's yet to apologize formally. It's yet to recognize um, the impact of um, free labor from um, people of, uh, of Africa and descendants of Africans that were enslaved in this country to help build this country, as well as um, the other uh, black and brown immigrants that have come to this uh, country since the formation of this, 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 this great nation. Um, and until this country does so we will never uh, reach the full potential and the of America. And I think what we have to do is not to fall into the trap. But we are dividing ourselves. Because I am convinced that a great majority of America, whether if you were a birthright American or immigrant that came to this country, um, we all want
1: and, and uh, stop others from being able to use the same policy and process. It, it's a bit hypocritical to me to be able to do that.
2: It's hypocrisy at, at a time right? Um, if this country was serious about illegal immigration, uh, we would not benefit from the contributions of their labor in the country. We would have some of the specific and harshest corporate penalties and exactly. corporations that high highest undocumented individuals, but we don't, because we know that the value and the contribution of the labor of undocumented individuals is too great to cause such a penalty. But yet, we want to block a pathway of citizenship to almost 12 million individuals who are out of status you know, in this country. They're protected, and the overwhelming, great majority of them are law-abiding individuals outside of their, their, their immigration status. Right? Right. That just shows the
0: hypocrisy. You know, in this whole system, it
2: shows that the system is broken, and it shows that it's up for the highest bidder, especially in the case of our president, that who feels
1: that he's above the law or wants to apply the law on everyone else. Everyone else, when it's to their advantage. It is, it, I, it, and it gives me wrapped up. So it gives me robbed up. So <laughs> me robbed, but let me switch back to you, Andy, and, and take it from that status of looking at immigration and looking at the 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 uh, dialogue, if you will. Of, them, of what people say is that, well, when immigrants come to town, they lower our wages, they make it harder for anyone else to work, when I don't necessarily see that personally. But talk to us about your campaign. When you were running for mayor, you talked about you know minimum wage. And at that point in time, DC was going through the, the uh, raising of the minimum wage to $15 an hour. We had a huge thing with Walmart, and everything was going on. But you had made note that at that time you were already paying above the minimum wage and looking to make, you know, a livable, you know, your employees have a livable wage. Talk to me about how you're operating that and how it impacts your business structure and it costing you more to, you know, pay more to your employees to make sure they're sustained and have a livable wage and how that impacts your business. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, corporate social responsibility is becoming the thing now. You know, uh,
2: we were always involved in that process for many, many uh, years before it became uh, cool to be able to talk about it, right? uh, But obviously, you know, the, the, uh, the move to, uh, to the $15 minimum wage had been uh, on, ongoing at the time when I ran for office and I, of course, you know, was able to, to take that on as a part of my platform. Uh, those types of issues, any issue that really brings Equal into a, a better situation is going to be an issue that we all should embrace. Um, the DC in particular is, uh, has one of the largest uh, wealth disparities in the entire country. Uh, the G coefficient, which is usually a measure of, uh, of wealth inequality, according to the Economic Policy Institute, has DC as the highest in the entire nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is problematic. Uh, that is not sustainable. Right. Uh, a lot of times, those types of things are visible, and people don't necessarily see them. You know, we talked about poverty in this country. Uh, I think the poverty rate is supposed to be twenty-four thousand dollars per family. four. Right. I don't know how many families are four to live for twenty-four thousand dollars. I don't know. If families one can live for twenty-four
0: thousand.
2: The the uh, the policy study ends up that to at least double that. Say fifty-five thousand or right. would be below about um, a sustainable you know, yes. lifestyle for family for. and four. And that, with that in mind, still, those folks are living, you know, one paycheck away from being on the street. Oftentimes, we've heard the, the story of a $400 medical bill they can't pay. Correct. Uh, and you can even
3: take it more granular and say that if somebody that is making that kind of money has to support a family, uh, if they got a ticket,
2: uh, a parking ticket, which never becomes a hundred dollars for parking. Right. Uh, I don't know what it is in Vermont, but it's hundred dollars here in D.C. in many instances, that parking ticket they're not going to be able to pay. It's going to double, and once it doubles, they're going to come after their car, and they're going to count the car, and now that person cannot get to his work or to work, right. and therefore it becomes this non-ending cycle of of uh, just not being able to ever catch up. So exactly. those issues, I think, are really important, and I think it's also important for us to recognize that when people do better, they're able to spend more and, and be able to can, that money And, and they feel
1: better and comfortable contributing to things that they need to do. It, right. it, it just gives you that, that self-esteem. It gives you that uplifting feeling. Now you're able to spend. You're able to go out and spend. But you're also changing your mentality at home because That's now true. you're not stressing. So if you do have kids, you know, you're you're treating them better. You know, if you're, you're married, you have a spouse, you're treating them better. You're doing all these things that are allowing you to help relieve your stress at home because you're able to get out and do more things. Talk to me about your education plan, Mayor, um, because I I see the the, the the wages and education, and I see how you, you uh, implemented or you're proposing to eliminate the, the student loan debt uh, much more than what Elizabeth Warren is doing. She's talking about $50,000, and from all accounts, everyone's saying that that's not going to eliminate anything. It's a good start, but it's not going to eliminate anything, and you're talking more about elimination. Talk to us about that, because that, that ties into being able to earn a wage and be able to have that. But if, you have, if you're if saddled with that debt, that's the first thing you graduate with. Now you're stressing about that debt. You're trying now to now get a job, and if you're not able to get the job, you're, you're in the same situation that, that Andy's talking about. Talk about your, your education plan and that elimination of debt and how that contributes to
2: society. Exactly. You know, I'm the first presidential candidate to propose uh, the complete and total elimination of the $1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. As of today, it's increased to $1.6 trillion. Uh, the other candidates have to introduce their own plans, but I'm proud to be a leader in that. Their plans are not in the direction. Um, you know, we look at some of the economic um, impacts of the debt. 44 million Americans that uh, are in three debt. On average, of about four million bucks per month um, in student loan debt, premium payments, uh, with an average down to about $30,000. I think it's low, because I just spoke to the at USC who's paying $50,000 per, year, just per so year. Pay that $50,000 right. year. So when you put that into context, what does that mean to not just the graduate that's graduating with this debt and are the parents with this debt? It means that one, they probably are going to be delayed in that first home. They're delayed starting families. When you think about them getting married, and now chances are, both spouses also have debt. I spoke to one couple two Pennsylvania. Yeah, and they're paying almost two thousand dollars a month. And that's, that's something that I didn't really
1: think about because you look at it. Yeah, when you get married, your husband has college debt, your wife has college debt. And now you're sitting there trying to pay both debt, on and you're living paycheck to paycheck. If, if you know you have the job, of both you know both spouses have you know income.
2: That's that's difficult, and that's a systemic problem because. Who typically have to take out student of debt? Working class Americans, people of color, and of the 44 million, almost 60% are women that have to take on this debt. So you already have a class of individuals who already have the cards of debt stacked against them who are now starting off their professional life, mortgaging on, getting higher education, which society says, what, go to school? grade, go to college so you can get a high-paying job, right? right. But yet, who has to take on this burden? Those individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, corporations, get
1: The farmers get handouts every year. And we don't look at that as being welfare or subsidized or anything else in nature. We always get this talk of, well, let the marketplace do it. You know, let the marketplace you know, um, um, uh, manage itself. And, you know, if you can't sell your product, and oh, well, change your market plan. But then we're paying farmers millions of dollars. We're paying oil companies billions of dollars. And we brought out for billions of dollars, each one of them got handouts, but the people who are supporting those industries, they're cutting SNAP, they're cutting WIC, they're cutting healthcare, they're cutting everything that would be sustainable for the people in order to even contribute to those corporations or industries to keep those industries
2: viable. I mean, how do we justify that? You said that it's not welfare, but it is welfare. It, it is, is welfare. welfare. It's, yeah, welfare. It's, it's corporate welfare. welfare. Exactly. But they don't want to call it that. That's man. the problem. It is corporate welfare, welfare by, by every measurable imagination. And, and it's also far more than we, will, we are willing to spend for you know basic specimens for people, obviously. Exactly. Uh, and I think I think part of the issue that we have here is that we are we have a split personality in this country. We, 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 want to have, we want to have a free market, you know, capitalist society. Everybody talks about that, and then we want to have everything else to, to sort of go along with that. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. I think uh, the president always has a, has a session with Norwegians. You know, doesn't it? Doesn't and and then <laughs> so right, right. he, he, he has an session with them. But you know they have managed to be able to have systems that are a lot more sustainable, where people have a lot less stress, where people don't have to worry about what happens if they retire, where people don't have to worry about how much do I have to go in debt to go to college, or how am I, I gonna to have to pay for that you now that's the next health uh, issue that I have to deal with, or how am I gonna pay for my childcare, how am I gonna be able to take care of my children and stay home and be able to do that so, all of these things are readily available for people, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of taxes, and everyone is in it together. And there's a sense of this is a community, and we all have to take care of each other, and it's not each man fence for themselves. So there's this sort of strangeness about how we perceive this country to be. It's, it's very individualistic, and yet there's a lot of Downside to that that mm-hmm. so we don't take it into account, and right. creates all kinds of right. issues for people. One thing by themselves, but really they're not an island by themselves. Right. They realize that thing alone is not really. What are we right. going to have a political will to realize that access to health care is important? Right. What are we going to have a political will to say that as a village, that we will fund higher education and get folks prepared for this new economy? Because the so future. with
1: that, I mean, talk just about your jobs plan. Um, I know we talked about it before, but specifically I want you to address it for African-Americans. But what's your jobs plan uh, that you want to implement uh, once, you know, you get elected? How do you see that market, and how do you see it changing for the benefit, so that we can get to where you're trying to, where you're talking about now?
2: Well, right now, there are already seeing the impact of the economy, where automation, advancement in technology, and uh, artificial intelligence is really driving the economy right now. You know, this nation was built on agriculture until the industrial revolution. But now, the industrial revolution has now gone through globalization. As we all know. That every country does not play by the same labor law. So therefore, other countries are now more competitive than us to be able to provide the same manufacturing of opportunities and capability uh, more more cheaper than we are because they don't have the same, they don't play by the same rules. And now we have this information age, this technology age, this gig economy that we're in. It is an untapped area. My plan will be investing in not only teaching individuals on how to be entrepreneurs. But how to get certified and be from coding to um, augmentation, automation, artificial intelligence, all these new and emerging technologies that are basically taking over not only our economy, but economies across this globe. your high paying jobs, the high man, right. high wage. you wouldn't even be talking about them anyways if we get our people right. and train our people to right. be able to not only take advantage of new producers, and innovators in the state, creating businesses, but also to be able to be if they want to be a regular worker. But I think in closing that, I think that every high school student should be taught how to be an entrepreneur, how to set up a business, how to manage that business. Whether they go off and start their own business or not, it really doesn't matter. Because I told you, one, based on the economy right now, at some point, there will be some form of displacement, either by choice or involuntary. That they should be able to take their skills and their experience that they've gained over the years of working and be able to monetize it. And by equipping our young people as well as our seasoned people, whenever they are displayed, that they'll have the ability to be able to monetize their skills and their talent.
1: Let me go to the caller. We have a caller that's coming in. Uh, Hello, caller. You're on the air. Give us your name
3: and uh, what's your question? Caller.
1: Stay on there. Okay, we'll we'll come back to you. So, uh, Andy, with what the mayor is talking about and how to create or build that global economy and and build that technology. I mean, your your industry doesn't require you know everyone to have a degree and things of that nature. So you've been able to help and you've been able to flourish. And I've always asked that question that the mayor's put out there. It's like, why aren't corporations investing more? I know they used to say, well, we'll, you know, help you or pay back, help you go to school. So we may help, you know, with classes here, but they had to be specifically towards whatever industry you're in, but you've been able to succeed and open up seven restaurants with, you know, labor, work labor. They didn't have degrees and things of that nature. Talk to us about that and how valuable that is because you know, my dad used to always say, you know, I can teach you how to do what I need you to do because every job you go to is going to train you anyway. So whether I have a degree or not, you're going to train me to do the job. You know, how does that impact your industry and how can that impact America?
2: Well, the hospitality industry it's really uh, has very few barriers for people to get in. It's a great way for people to get started and really build a career. Uh, we don't ask people their educational background for jobs. Unless they're doing something really specific like accounting or something like that. Amazing. Uh, but we don't ask anything uh, as far as what is their
3: um, what, what what their degree We also were one of the first uh, uh, restaurants here in the city actually a
2: business the band we right to off the previously in the job um, so it, that, that's, that's the thing I think we've uh, done from the beginning. I have seen people walk in here with just a smile and a great attitude that have started to actually work here. Um, they, they work at servers, sponsors, whatever it is, and within a very short period of time, those people can be promoted to higher-level jobs, mm-hmm. become supervisors, making over $22 an hour, and then becoming managers, making Fifty-five thousand
3: dollars a year. Now,
2: you, you're taking somebody that has no education, right. maybe a little bit of workforce uh, training in the past. We train them and get them set up, and within two to three years, they can actually be in that level That's remarkable. It, it is. And-
1: Mrs. Rice, um, um, Tamir Rice's mom, and she was advocating against the rehire of the gentleman who killed her son, Timothy Lohan, who his own supervisor, previous supervisor, said he shouldn't be rehired. He shouldn't have even been back on the force in the first place. But just looking at that film and, and watching it and seeing the impact of what it said and suggests, and then looking at the various obstacles that we are still facing. What do you see as the biggest obstacle in getting fair and equitable treatment for black men and women um, as it relates to social justice and law enforcement? What would be your platform as a, as a president to deal with those issues? Um, because a lot of the, uh, the uh, Justice Department have eliminated a lot of those uh, um, MOUs with certain uh, city government uh, law enforcement, Cleveland being one of them. Um, I think uh, Baltimore was another one and I can't remember the other state where Attorney General Sessions went in and said, we're going to pause those. Those are no longer in, in, implemented. What, what would, uh, what do you see as, as uh, a, a program of a, a product a policy? Where do you see that uh, taking you in, in your candidacy? We have a
2: person you're referring to the uh, that was forced upon, upon, upon uh, many law forces. And they were caught away here and now here. for a reason. Exactly. Because it was proven and documented one, reinstate consent decree and issue more that needs to be issued out there, because you have the whole law enforcement account. And don't get me wrong, you have, there are so many more good police officers out there than they are bad. But there are some bad actors out there, and we cannot be afraid to do something about those bad actors. And I think uh, that's uh, go ahead, Andy. Sorry, and there's been a concerted effort to militarize police. Right, I right. Mean, you see it in what they wear, you see it in the they have tanks. So the they, carry. they have tanks that right. roll down the little um, local mainstream. Right, right. All right. So and a lot of it a lot of it I have to add has been training that's been done in areas and in countries that really don't respect necessarily um, certain guidelines that we like to live by in this country. For what example, the diversity of the community. A lot of our police forces are being trained uh, trained as Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're being trained in Israel because Israel is highlighted as one of the safest places to be. Well, one of the reasons why it appears that way is because they profile everyone. If you're Arab and if you're Muslim, you walk on a different street. If you're Arab and you're Muslim, you have to live in a certain part of town. And if that's the way we want to live in this country, then we're doing the right thing. But I don't think this country would build on those foundations. I really don't want us to go down that road for the perception that somehow by doing this, is going to make us safer. Because it may make us safer in a very short period of time, but it's really endangering us as a country and losing our, our, our very foundation that we like to abide by.
1: It's going to create an uprising that certainly, I don't know, that uh, we're ready for. It won't be just a a riot in one part of town. It's going to be a riot throughout the whole city. Um, It's just one of those things that you you look at. When you look at um, our judges, Mayor, um, because as president, you will get the benefit and pleasure of being able to appoint federal judges. I'm looking at 107 judges that have been appointed, many of which, many of which have never been I mean, in a courtroom to even try a case. Others have, no, I mean, they don't even know the legal procedures of what they're supposed to be doing. And they're now in lifetime appointments um, that are going to be detrimental to, especially the Black and Brown population. But when you think about that and you look at it, are, you know, what is going to be your plan in terms of your judgeships? And then, secondly, would you do something like Trump did, and and have a list of judges that you're going to bring out and say, these are the type of judges I'm going to appoint.
2: I think that it's clear that uh, that the president uh, would uh, have a standard of what a federal appointment should look like. You know, a judge that will uh, justly interpret the law, uh, not legislate the law, uh, one that has a judicial uh, record of fairness, um, that uh, recognizes that when precedent is set, um, it's not their job to overturn precedent, uh, like many are pointing. And so the sad thing about, what's scary about the current situation with the current administration is, we talk about over 100 plus federal appointments, many of right. them are young. Yeah, 35. To so 40. the question is, will number 40 actually have many appointments to make? Yeah. You know that that, that that's the scary thing about that. We haven't even talked about the Supreme Court, right. you know. So uh, they've already stacked the court. There's been a lot of questions going about, well, as president, will you stack the court? we increase the number of um, Supreme Court justices? But that game has already been paid when they stole President Barack Obama's appointment. Exactly. Did not allow him to, need to get hearing exactly. to be able to uh, be to, be a, uh, to be appointed. just to show how elections have consequences, you know. Correct. Uh, but it's important. But as president, I would look for justices that would be fair. Uh, that have cultural sensitivity and will not look to go back the hands of the time in this country, but to recognize where we are as a nation and where we are moving forward mm-hmm. and while the safety
1: precedent. I want to ask uh, anyone in the audience if they have any questions, because I, I neglected to do that earlier. I know people had technically saying they had some questions. Anybody have any questions that you want to ask the mayor? Sure, yes. Yeah. So,
2: opportunities
4: on um, Oh. Hi, Andora Govan, Director of International Business. Here. So, Opportunity Zone is the latest sort of buzzword catch, and since now, it's almost like a Black Friday sale, but the hood is on sale predominantly. Um, so where do you say it's your area and an opportunity zone and what's your opinion on how we can best, when in that 10 years from now look back and say I used to live there. that big old condo complex, was the home I grew up in? Yeah.
2: Well, thanks for your question. Um, first of all, the uh, opportunity zones, it depends on what side of the spectrum you are. It is an opportunity, but it's also an opportunity. It's an, opportunity, an opportunity that can do some good, but some opportunity that can do some, some bad as well. And what we have to do is believe this process. In a perfect world, opportunity zones should be going into impoverished areas and revitalizing them while not leaving anyone behind. But as you've seen, some of the stories where you had some areas designated as one of the census tracts that are country clubs, golf courses where the richest of the rich get to transfer their profits and, and build country clubs tax-free. That just goes to show how the system is broken. And that's how we have to keep an eye on it. You know, we have two census tracts in near And we are very intentional and deliberate in terms of how those areas will be able to uh, take advantage of the opportunity zones, where uh, if there is going to be a multi Use facility that has a residential component. We want first of all we want to make sure when it gets built, the people from our community is going to be a part of that project. Second, the residential units that are built, we're going to have a certain number of units that are affordable, low income, and workforce so that no one is left behind. But now here's where I keep it real. We talk a lot about gentrification, but it just goes to show, especially people of color, we have to understand and value power and the necessity of owning property. You know, our grandparents and our parents own property. But when they die and pass on, we fight over the land, we just want to sell it and get the cash. Right. The right. It's really hard to gentrify our neighborhood if we own the land. And if we own the land, how can they gentrify our neighborhood if we don't sell it? Right. So we have to empower people of color to educate them on the power of land ownership. And the value of it. Mean, yeah. And to protect it. Because when we do that, then we have more of a say of our neighborhood. It's only when we are renters. When we say my own neighborhood, well, if you were a renter in that own neighborhood, for whatever reason, I know there's some circumstances of why people can't own property. Okay? But when we own the, when we own the real estate, when we own the brick and mortar, it's very difficult for outsiders and investors to come in and take what we claim to be our neighborhood. So it's important that we invest in the education of people of color in owning property so that we can have more of a say and control our faith as it relates to our
1: people. Good. Any other questions? Um, Andy, let me go with that too, because when uh, you and I were talking earlier, as I said in my opening, as I one of my first questions to you was that you put your businesses in areas or communities of color, uh, and your latest Bus um, Boys and Boys is over in Southeast, Martin Luther King, um, one of the, the, the largest and full-service restaurant over there as, as gentrification moves over there, uh, and it's been years or anything like that since they've had anything like that, but you've invested in those communities and been a part of that development. Talk to us about that and what it means and what uh, the structures of that for many people of color and how they can use that as a value statement to do exactly what the mayor is talking about, create ownership in those opportunity zones, in those areas. Uh, talk to us about that
2: as well. So when we were getting ready to go in there, I wanted to make sure that we are going to be in a space that really um, is going to be a benefit to the community. So the building we're in is owned by a very strong local Nonprofit called the Far Southeast Family Spectrum Collaborative. And they are the owners of the building, so they're my landlord. And they provide all kinds of services to the community. So for me to pay them every single month, uh, my my rent goes directly back to to the community. service to the community on many issues, whether it deals with the elderly, after school programs, preschool programs, and so on. So that's been a great uh, um, uh, collaboration there. Um, The the idea that that a lot of the city is changing very rapidly, and I think sometimes I agree with the mayor. I think there's there's so many opportunities the cities don't take advantage of. Um, For example, like land trusts. Uh, For example, like uh, inclusionary zoning for businesses as well as for uh, residents. Um, The change is happening so rapidly that a lot of these programs that have been around for a while aren't really Functioning the way you're supposed to the point is like and only the know who know
1: can actually use it and get into it Or even propose it
2: that, that, That's one The, the, the other part is a little too, too little too late um, if You're talking about inclusionary zoning. You're talking about a handful of, of You know apartment units right. or, or condos or whatever What the need is in the thousands Right. Uh, so um, We have failed on public housing. We have failed on so many levels uh, to really create a city that functions for everybody. And sometimes I think the, the horse is out of the bar, so to speak. So if you were to just sit back and do nothing, it's going to roll the way it's supposed to roll. You have to actually put, be proactive Correct, and right. intentional right. about where you want the city to be. But most people don't want to rot that. It's too sweet. You know, like people see the city as a business, Uh, And uh, cities should not be uh, developed as you would a business, they're not maximizing profit, it's maximizing benefits, Mm -hmm. and you have to look in terms of who's benefiting, is the city functional not for the, you know, the top uh, half, the top quarter, whatever it is, uh, as well as it is for the other folks, because how far can you keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. But it's, still to come back. it's going to come back. Go ahead. That's education is so important, especially for the community. Because I tell you this when developers come to municipalities to do major developments, and they don't necessarily have the entitlement in terms of zoning or particular development, mm-hmm. Not only do they petition the local municipality for zoning change, but oh, by the way, since we're going to be investing a hundred million dollars on this block um, our impact fees for infrastructure or parts is going to equal to about four and a half million dollars. We only want to pay a part of that.
3: Guess who's 3 quarters percentage that belongs to? The people, the taxpayers. So it's not like they're coming into To development tonight they're maybe
2: creating some economic activity true enough but they're asking they need the city to give them some permission and they're getting dollars to do it or they're getting a waiver of fees to do it right so that means now the public has to say so if the public is going to allow you and going to raise some of these fees and what is going to be your public benefit and consideration for us doing that mm-hmm. so for you to come in and just build luxury apartments high rent commercial space, high rent office space that the local hardworking individual can't also participate in as well. Or for example, the waiter or the waitress or the administrative assistant that's gonna work in that field, can't even afford to live there. At least a certain small percentage of the unit, that's not asking too much. And we have to ensure that we are electing both the officials that understand that. And we're holding people to the fire and ensure that we're going to give you something as a city, what are you going to give back to the city that's going to our community? And you're transitioning
1: right to where I want to go uh, very quickly as, as we get ready to, to wind down. Uh, later on this evening, you'll be with um, Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign yep. and talking about um, the issues of, of poverty and and the same thing that, that Andy was talking about in terms of the, the levels and
2: where we're heading. So talk about your vision, your planning, your policies, to in this country as an expert. president. what will you do or how will you do
1: that? Uh, what will be your your your, your policies for that in, in terms of
2: uh, uh, I mean and the poor this campaign tonight. What, what well, to our in this country it we to our priorities in this country we already know how to deal with poverty in this country it's either getting access to health care, good paying job education reforming our criminal justice system. But you know what? To deal with each one of those areas, it costs dollars. Right. It costs money. But what does Washington always say? We don't have it. Mm-hmm. We're the wealthiest country in this world, and we don't have the money because we don't have the priority. Almost 60% of our federal budget goes to what? Defense. Right. Defense. And look at some of these contracts. They're so bloated. I mean, when they say $500 for a for nut, to go on a boat, right. they're not lying. Does a boat really cost $500? Right. You know? So the question becomes, where are our priorities? So we have to start there. We have to start re-portioning our budget to start addressing some of these issues. We have about 15, 16 states including my home that have not expanded Medicaid. That's because we have a Republican governor that says that I want no part of Obamacare, I don't, want any, I don't want any on my record, and what's the balance more people not getting access to health care. It was just a matter of just finding a way that would just give access to health care. the money in the reality is it makes your costs go up higher because now you're trying to get for an insured through a. a, a we can pay a fraction of what we pay right now that we're already giving long-term and preventative care to
4: people who cannot Go ahead, do you have a question? Yes, and you I wanted to get your take on 5G. Um, the train has left the station. What I'm seeing from elected officials across the country is sort of this handwritten letter given to municipality to read on behalf of a large cell phone company. Each city is sort of kind of saying the same thing. Everyone is promising hundreds of thousands of jobs created by 5G, but when I talk to community organizations, they don't know how to get contracts, they don't know how, even in the case of a busboy, it's going to hang a cell tower and get revenue. So what, what's your take on 5G and how communities can best benefit economically? Yeah, we'll have faster internet, but we most people in this room are probably entrepreneurs or contractors.
2: Yeah. So um, the telecom industry is very complicated. And depending on where you are and what state you're in, um, have different laws. Like, for example, in the state of Florida, the telecom industry basically went to South Hatton and basically preempted every municipality from having, well, forcing us in our way to approve the expansion of 5G. Um, Just briefly, in terms of the history, like for 4G and legacy frequency infrastructure. They, are, they were supported by these tall telephone towers. You see the different carriers have their, their equipment on there. They're spaced about four or five miles apart. Well, 5G is a high frequency. Now we'll require different facilities much closer, maybe a thousand feet apart, but they're much smaller and they'll be placed throughout. But in the state of Florida, um, they got to tell the to say that cities have X number of days to approve in bulk these applications. So, when it was just one tall tower, you might have four in your five in your city. Now you may have thousands or hundreds of these 5G points present because they have to be closer. Now, so because of that, there has been no incentive to incentivize these private telecommunication companies like Verizon, Spring, and T Mobile. They're paying their own private dollars to expand this infrastructure. So, as they're expanding, they're using their contractors, their subcontractors to put infrastructure in place there's no way to to make them hire local contractors because it's their dollars i would propose just in general from a municipality well in florida what they did was to uh, they still have to pay a fee to apply for their approval for their permit to play fee we're just restricted on what we can charge them, and how fast we have to approve their applications. So basically, once they can drop 500 applications, or well, they can drop an application 500 points of presence throughout our city, we have to approve it in so many days. If we don't approve it, it's automatically approved. It doesn't matter how they look, the color they are, what neighborhood it is, they can put it in front of your house. So we have to do all of that. So so yeah, so, so the point I'm getting to is that, a solution, because every state is different, and different here in D.C. and in the area, in terms of how the uh, Maryland and Virginia and how D.C. handles that infrastructure. That infrastructure is instead of just giving tax cuts to multinational corporations, huge corporations who just take that money and those states and buy back their stocks to, you know, to, to shelter their money or have to put it offshore, some uh, an offshore account is if we incentivize multinational large corporations, listen, we'll give you a tax cut, but we want you to invest in infrastructure in rural communities and underserved communities, where you may not necessarily be investing the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure because you want to see where you can get a return on your investment. Well, if you connect our rural communities, like Madison Ford, South Bay Ford, and some of the rural areas in Virginia and Maryland, to get infrastructure. You prove you put it out there. You have an asset. We'll give you a tax break. But guess what the benefit is now to, the, to those communities? Now, people in these underserved communities are connected to the internet. They have access to 5G. Now they have their minds, their intellect to start their businesses from their home. When otherwise they had to go to a bus, boys, and to get internet, or to a library, or to school, or maybe some inconvenient place. So now, because they are now building our infrastructure, they're getting a tax cut. but now the people have tangible benefit by them getting a tax cut because now they built our infrastructure, which they were still making money because data still has to transfer right sure. there against their fiber. And then now, where there's fiber and connectivity, then now the development takes place right. because now I may put a bus boy employees in this area where I may not have even considered because now. 5G access there, there's a budding entrepreneurial class that's developing there. So, so the now infrastructure it's to to do. First development. So it's being creative where you work within the confines of what makes businesses successful, speaking their language, but then turns it around and adding a public benefit to it. So these are just, to me, our common sense and approaches.
1: Uh, Andy, I want to uh, uh, get to you and, and we're going to wrap up real quick here because we were talking about uh, uh, the mayor is going to be talking tonight as the corporate campaign. I know we talked earlier about some work that you're doing in that same uh, venue and the same aspect uh, dealing with corporate campaign. Talk to us about that and what's your involvement and how you're uh, promoting um, the aspect of policy changes for people in poverty and trying to raise the, the, the living standards.
2: We had uh, we had folks on my radio show this morning uh, speaking about that very issue, and uh, I believe uh, the. Uh, there's going to be a program that's going to be, I, I think, uh, on MSNBC, live on MSNBC, with some of the candidates, uh, the major candidates, uh, talking about uh, Biden, Warren, and others who are going to be on that on that conversation. This is one of the first times that uh, this issue has been coming up in a mainstream uh, political uh, sphere. Right. And that's That's really encouraging to see. People are talking about issues of of poverty and talking about the wealth disparity and talking about these very, you know, 43 percent of people living in this country live Near one paycheck away, yeah. one paycheck away exactly. from completely right. being out on the on the uh, on the street, right. and that's quite alarming. When we think of ourselves as the wealthiest country in the world, the most prosperous, and on on many levels, we have to really start to rethink about. What makes us? Uh, what makes us believe that? You mm-hmm. know, there's been this this myth that's been promoted that we are number one in everything. Right. But you know, we really have a lot of work to do. And, and I'm and I'm really glad that the Reverend Barber and others have been at the forefront of this issue. This issue is not new. It's been talked about a lot. And I think finally, with this crop of uh, political candidates that are that are running, including the mayor here. Um, I think there's an opportunity to have this dialogue in a very serious way. And election year is always an opportunity to uh, air out some of these things that we tend to ignore uh, for, for other times. So I'm, I'm really glad that they're taking on this really important issue. And, and it's not just that. They're, you know, they're also taking on reparations. Right. Uh, those, are, those are serious conversations that we have managed to sweep under the carpet for way too long. And, you know, when he keeps sweeping stuff under the carpet, he starts tripping. And I think that's what (laughs) happened. And that's what the mayor was talking
1: about earlier when uh, you were talking about reparations earlier um, and talking about what we're going to do. So let me ask you this. What can we do or what are you going to do? What's your plan to, uh, mayor, to, one, make the next round of of the debate stage? Because I know that the first round, you weren't able to get there but you're going to, you know, you're pressing forward, and what's your plan for the next stage? And also, uh, touch on reparations.
2: Yeah. Well, for those of the audience would like to um, help you reach the uh, donor role that the DNC puts out, you can uh, visit my website at Wayne4USA.com. That's Wayne, F-O-R, USA.com. If you want to receive $5,000, you can donate do some to help you make the July debates in Detroit. Um, but in terms of the question. I alluded to this in terms of reparations. Well, let's say, say reparations specifically, but the impact of enslavement of uh, the fact right. that brought to this country, help build this country. And, uh,
0: right now, I
2: think to to get to the, the resolution to repair those impacts, I support HR 40 um, by Congresswoman uh, Sheila jackson of Houston um, that basically will set up a commission to scientifically and objectively study the impact uh, free labor of enslaved Africans that were lost to this country. Once we get that data, then now we have objective data that we can use to say that, well, what were the impacts on the income that was not realized for those individuals and mm-hmm. their descendants?
4: Mm-hmm. What has been the
2: ramifications of the access or lack of access to healthcare? What has been the impact of Jim Crow laws and mm-hmm. the red line, where, you know, white communities were able to get loans? buy property. We could. You know, whatever happened to that 48% of you and what that was done for um, the black community. So now we have this objective data that now we can quantify what those impacts are. And then now Congress can now come up to determine how to appropriately adopt the recommendations that will come from that study. Because then now you can't refute the data, you can't refute what happened can't refute the impact of what we're seeing today because until we define what the impacts are, then it will be very difficult for us to actually come to some solution and resolution. Right. And I'll also call to task for those individuals and those candidates that kind of sugarcoat the issue and try to give uniform solutions that will help everyone. everybody. But you know what? Everybody wasn't enslaved. Exactly. All right. Everybody did not. Have to endure the injustices that Black people had to endure. Um, so, you know, reparations is the root word as we So, we have to repair that. So, if, if everyone was not impacted the way that African Americans were, you know. Know that HR 40 was introduced by John Conyers in uh, right. yes. in, in 1989. It was, And it's yes. been going on for a long time. This is the first time that actually it has gotten over 50 co sponsors in the House. And now, for the first time, the Senate's taking it on. And I think they have, I want to say about 10 co sponsors there. Cory Booker has taken the lead in that. So uh, I think it's starting to get a little bit of traction here.
1: So as we close out, let me ask you, Andy, as I do with uh, all my guests, um, I ask them, what's at stake? What's at stake for us? And I I always pose it specifically uh, towards African-Americans, but just really in general because of what we have been going through and and what we have endured for the last three and a half years or three years,
2: what's at stake for us? I I think the heart and soul of this country, honestly. I, I really do believe that we have someone now in the White House who lacks, uh, any kind of ethical or moral compass, and I think it it's alarming because when you have the head of the organization being um, so um, so unethical and so immoral in many ways, criminal, and and has absolutely <laughs> has no qualms, <laughs> has yeah. no qualms in in, uh, no. in saying the most. Ridiculous things that have such huge impact. You no longer ridiculous things by you, yeah. You no longer a showman on on, on the Real Housewives. Right. I mean, you're you're right. like, You have an impact. You know, exactly. your words matter. Exactly. And uh, and when you don't recognize the seat that you're in and how impactful that seat is, um, it's really quite disturbing, frankly, to watch it. I I come from a country, as you mentioned, Iraq, where uh, we had a fascist regime. And uh, fascism doesn't just, you know, show up in in the most obvious way. Sometimes right. it shows up in uh, in in uh, with uh, with with orange hair right. and uh, yeah. and you yeah, know, right, right, and a suit. <laughs> <But> uh, you <laughs> know, so so you have to be you have to really have to be. And, and it evolves, you know, pretty quickly, but it, it but it comes real absolutely. tight, and then people you know, keep they keep ignoring it, they keep ignoring it, and the next thing you know, it's there. Yep. Yeah. You don't wake up one day and say, oops, oh, there's fascism." You know, right. it doesn't just show up at your door knocking. It comes very, very slowly, like in the air that we breathe and the way we function. And I'm just worried. I think we really are at a at a pre- at a at a precipice where we yeah. see the very essence of what this country was built on, right. and it's creating fissures. And we're starting to understand that we aren't. Uh, we, we have issues. we mm. have We have issues that we have to address that have just shown us the fragility of our democracy, the fragility of our constitution, mm. the fragility of our institutions. Mm. Yes, uh, that we for the longest time thought, oh, we're t- no one is going to touch Roe v Wade. No one is right. going to do that because right. it's already done. It's already done. No, but, no one's going to,
1: you know, allow people to come and live and pay and pay them yeah. to, you know, do this or do that. Yeah, or,
2: know, no one is that going to let, like, yeah. some foreign country right. interfere in, in our, our elections, elections and say, oh, that's okay. Yeah, sure. You know, no we're one's going to, that. yeah, that's ridiculous. Well, we'll take it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's an SNL stuff, you <laughs> know, but we're talking right. about, like, real stuff happening, right. so that's my And And that's, yeah, I concern. mean,
1: you hit it right on the head for me.
2: It it just, in the pit of my
1: stomach, uh, Mayor, it's like Congress and especially the Senate is like, don't care, don't worry about it, it's nothing. But to the word, to the period, to the dollar, to the cent, if you had just changed and had this with Barack Obama, we know for a fact that none of this would have been accepted. They wouldn't be turning blind eyes. They will be calling out, they would have press conference, they would be putting in legislation. We would probably already be in an impeachment investigation by now. And it's so sickening to me that Democrats haven't moved methodically, (laughs) but even with just the understanding of educating the public on what impeachment means so they can actually understand it, like uh, the Republican Congressman did, and being able to just get to the court to make people testify and do it. And with that, what to stake?
2: Everything is at stake. You know, the very fabric of our nation, um, the integrity of our institutions. You know, we have three branches of government, code and You know, and uh, we, we, we have to preserve and protect, you know, the integrity of our institutions. And that has been challenged at this point. And America must rise up uh, beyond the fact no one is above the law. You know, at the end of the day, uh, I know it's very uh, convenient to, to talk about impeachment and to push for impeachment because ultimately we see that as a way uh, to get rid of this president, although this uh, Republican led Senate was not uh, followed through, even as a top right? right. To of course. Go forward. So, my position in terms of impeachment basically is that I just challenge Congress. Their constitutional duty of oversight. Exactly. But even as a minimum so you begin an inquiry. But at the end of the day, I want to focus on the issues that are important to the American people. Because whether Trump is impeached or not, if there are if an inquiry started or not, there's still a grandmother there that can't afford a prescription medicine. There's still, you know, people of color in prisons that are serving sentences longer than their white counterparts. There's still schools and neighborhoods that are not at par with their peers across the railroad track. Still families and hardworking people have to work two or three jobs just to make ends meet. I think that's what American people are really focused on and are looking for solutions. Someone who will speak truth to power, someone who will call out injustices, uh, not in a safe way, but in a very real way. And then someone who will bring this country back together. Someone who will think and dream big. You know, everyone is talking about getting back to some form of policy pre-Trump. The last I checked, pre-Trump wasn't working for most Americans. We need to be thinking much bigger, much broader to work on behalf of American people. So as we close out tonight, I want to thank my, uh,
1: my guest tonight, uh, this afternoon, uh, and host today for, uh, at Bus Boys and Poets, Andy Schill, in and the honor of Bus Boys and Poets uh, across the DMV. Certainly, if you're in the area, come by and check it out on 14th and U. And, uh, um, where else we got? We got uh, yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. We have uh,
2: uh, Shaw, uh, Chinatown. We have um, Tacoma, Park. Tacoma Park. We have Priusville. Right. We've got Shirlington. We've got Anacostia. We, yeah, we got seven locations. All over, so we all we got the place covered dude. Yeah, we got them covered. So, wherever you
1: live, you can always come on out and join and, and uh, have lunch, dinner, breakfast with us boys and and then come on out for their events that they do uh, regularly throughout the week. And then also, I want to thank my guest, uh, 2020 President's candidate um, from Miramar, Florida, Mayor Wayne Messiam. And, Mayor, I, I didn't ask the question, but real quick, very, very quickly, talk to the people about the gun control that you do in your city and how you raise wages for the people, because I think. As the chief executive and letting people know that you have waived, raised wages for your city workers and employees is very important and I want them to understand that. Uh, give me 30 seconds
2: real quick. Well, in the city of Myanmar, we have to the wage. Although in the state of Florida, the city can't impose a minimum wage or a living wage on our city. However, we took the steps to do it for our workers, so we are leading by example. And also, in the state of Florida right now, as it relates to gun control. But I can't pass a law in my city too far, a soft our park. In fact, the state government will actually remove these from office, personally find me five thousand dollars if I can't not pass such a law in my city, so I sue the state accord to remove those punitive provisions so that local governments can have more of a say and control in our city. Again, I want to thank my guests
1: this afternoon, uh, Mayor uh, Wayne Messiam from Miramar, Florida, and uh, Busboys Employed Owner and Entrepreneur, Philanthropist, and uh, Extraordinaire, uh, Andy Shiloff. I want to thank them for uh, hosting us tonight or this afternoon. I keep saying it tonight because normally we broadcast at night, but we're doing a special broadcast this afternoon at uh, Busboys Employed Live. And I want to just thank them for hosting us tonight and certainly we we'll look forward to doing this again. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, how can we follow you, get in touch with you, and, and make sure that we can get you on that base base, debate stage the next, uh, next time in
2: July? I'm on social media platforms, Instagram, Wayne Messon, and in Twitter, at Wayne Messon, that's W-A-Y-N-E-M-E-S-S-A-M, and you can visit my website at Wayne4USA.com, Wayne, USA.com, or you can text 20, with Wayne 20, to the number 24365. 24 days, years. Wayne, the number 220, 24365. Thanks so much
1: for having me. Perfect. Until next time, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics Today. Thank you, everyone.
5: Thank you for
0: listening to Black Politics Today on i for what's at stake in global politics with your host kelly michael williams join us live each monday from 7 to 8 p.m until next time follow us on twitter like us on facebook and download us on itunes at black politics today